everyone. My name is Minna, and you're listening to The Movies That Made Her But Not Me, the podcast where we discuss movies from different generational perspectives. This week, though, we're trying something a little different with a new series we're calling Take Two with Minna, where I discuss our last episode in further detail, taking an in-depth look at a topic from that episode so we can understand filmmaking and film interpretation on a little bit of a deeper level. We'll pick one topic, we'll dissect it, we'll analyze it, and talk about that topic's implications to the film and filmmaking on a larger level. It's going to be fun. We'll have a conversation. We'll bring on some knowledgeable guests and just get into film theory and the film industry as a whole. We really just want to take a mini episode in between our big episodes that we can continue the discussion and really, really understand the things that make film interpretation interesting and different and change throughout time so if something's changing we want to look at it we want to analyze it look at the history of it and see how we've gotten to where we are now with filmmaking so without further ado this is take two with minna so last week lauren and i talked about barbie which is a movie made by a doll company about a feminist empowered doll that every woman can see themselves in when i sat in the theater and i watched the movie i felt myself get more and more connected to this barbie doll and as i felt myself do that i couldn't help but think that this is what mattel who made the movie and the barbie doll wants me to feel like this empowered feeling is completely manufactured by a toy company. And of course, all movies have intentions, right? Like the filmmaker wants us to think about something specific or learn about something specific or unlock a certain emotion in us and get us to really dig deep. But in this case, the filmmakers aren't just artists who are trying to get us to feel something. They're also salesmen with two agendas, right? Sell the movie, sell the product. So these emotions that they're bringing up in me are a little sneaky. I'm suspicious about these feelings because I know that they're not trying to get me to feel something for the sake of making me feel something. They want me to feel something and that thing is a need to buy a Barbie doll. I don't think there's anything wrong um, necessarily with that. I think merchandising is really cool, really interesting, and has a rich history. And it's something that Barbie has actually done with fervor this past year. Um, they had a marketing budget of $100 million and they did over 100 brand partnerships. So I'm sure you know as well as I know that this summer you couldn't walk more than two feet without seeing something in Barbie pink and in Barbie font. Hi Barbie. 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 Whether you thought that was annoying or the coolest, most fun thing that you experienced all summer, it definitely served a purpose, right? The movie is one of the most successful movies of all time. It's the highest grossing film directed by a female director. It's hugely, hugely popular and successful. So the question is, why? Why did this doll company make a movie about a doll with a feminist message? Why did they have over 100 brand partnerships? And why did they sink so much money into marketing the film? What was the purpose? What did they seek to gain from this? And I think to understand that question, we first need to dig into the history of merchandising to understand why production companies even think to match entertainment up with sales, right? How did the two even end up in the same place? And the answer to that actually goes a lot further back than what I thought. It goes merchandising with film actually started in the 1930s. And I'm sure this will come as no surprise to you, but the source of merchandising in film is Disney. 
that's right the walt disney company made steamboat willie in 1929 and it was a huge success people could not get enough of this tiny mickey mouse whistling and steering his steamboat So a company offered Disney $300 to put Mickey on a writing tablet. And Disney thought, okay, animating is super expensive. We've got these movies coming up. We want to make Snow White. It's very pricey. Fine. Give us the $300. Do whatever you want with Mickey Mouse. And that was one of the smartest things that they ever did. Because the licensing of that character went on throughout the 30s into the present day. And now Mickey Mouse is claimed to be the most popular licensed character. And it's now on thousands of merchandise items. But even though Disney had this incredible success story licensing Mickey Mouse and making all of this money and putting him everywhere so he's extremely recognizable disney was the exception they weren't the rule other production companies didn't look at what was going on in disney and think hmm i wonder if we could do that i wonder if we took our characters and we put them on a t-shirt i wonder if we would make the same kind of money that disney was making it wasn't really until the 1970s when star wars came out that that became the thing to do so in 1977 star wars comes out and they decide to put Star Wars on literally everything. Candlesticks, action figures, they're, they're everywhere. And that was, you know, deemed to be the birth of modern merchandising. That's the model that everybody looks to as like this great merchandising success story. And then on the flip side of that, in 1982, E.T. comes out and they're seen to be the birthplace of product placement in movies. So they put Reese's in their movie they sort of started this revolution of product placement in films and those two movies become the heads and tails of the coin that is merchandising in the entertainment industry and the two have a creative history much more creative than i think a lot of people give them credit for i think it's really interesting to look at the way movies can act as advertisements and the way advertisers see movies as a creative opportunity to sell their product. In the 1980s was a mass commercialization of film going in both directions. They saw, advertisers saw that movies could be products and that products could be movies. And it's gotten to a point now where studios have consumer product divisions at their company that in many cases can make billions of dollars in revenue. In 2022, Disney actually made 7.2 billion in their first quarter. And keep in mind, that's even with COVID slowing down amusement parks and buying things in stores. They still made $7 billion in revenue just from parks and consumer products. So obviously there's risk. I mean, studios can be worried that they sink all of their money into merchandising and then no one buys it, right? You could end up in a real jingle all the way situation, which is a movie that came out in the 90s that starred um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, where a production company decided, you know what, all these movies are having so much success with merchandising. What if we did something crazy where we made a movie about an action figure that we totally made up. It's not an action figure that existed before this movie came out. We make an action figure 
and then we make the movie we get people interested in buying the action figure and then we sell the action figure afterwards so they're kind of making an advertisement for a doll that doesn't exist but they hope that the movie will be so successful that everybody will run out and buy the doll from the movie every holiday season there's one toy everyone has to have jetpack and the boomerang shooter getting it is every child's dream whoever doesn't can be a real loser finding it you got the doll right is this father's nightmare i'll get that toy i promise it's kind of a great idea however the risk in that situation is something that they saw firsthand which is maybe no one will buy the doll and then you sunk all this money into the movie and the product and the merchandising and no one sees the movie no one wants to buy the doll so studios get creative and they play it more safe they make merchandising of characters that already exist right disney's going through this whole phase right now where they're obsessed with remakes they're obsessed with reboots they're obsessed with doing live action and that means they know everybody loves cinderella they know if they remake cinderella everybody who loves this original cinderella movie will come see this the remake of the cinderella movie and they'll buy not only the merchandise that's associated with the first cinderella but now also the merchandise is um, associated with the second Cinderella. So that's very, that's very much playing it safe. Another thing that they can do, which is very relevant to what we're talking about here today, is to make a movie about a toy that already exists. So people who know the t- toy will want to go see the movie and then buy the special version of that toy. It's kind of this idea that banks on a toy's popularity and sets a film up for a guaranteed success. So one of my favorite examples of this from the past is the Kit Kit Ridge movie, which came in 2008. All my life, I wanted to be a reporter. HBO Films and Picture House proudly present the first major motion picture based on the American girl stories. I was my girl. Hello, sweetie. What's your name? Kit Kit Ridge. Fascinating. Something that I found out actually doing research for this podcast episode is the Kit Kitridge movie was made by Mattel. American Girl dolls are Mattel dolls. I had no idea. So Mattel is kind of two for two here with their uh, Barbie movie and then also their American Girl doll movies, which that's I found that to be fascinating. Barbie has more sisters than just Skipper. She also has Kit and Molly and Samantha and Felicity and all the rest of the American Girl dolls because they are all owned by Mattel. So cool. So after I was done having my little fangirl moment over that, I did some research and I found out that Mattel's sales of American Girl dolls was down 27%. And so they decided to announce their first theatrical movie. I actually was obsessed with this movie when it came out. I remember that I found out they did um, an open casting call for two of the girls in the very beginning of the movie. And what they did was like you had to write an essay in and they picked two girls to be in like one scene in the beginning of the movie. And I remember sitting in the theater and thinking, oh, I wish that was me. I wish I'd known about this so I could have written an essay and been in the movie. How amazing would that be? But see, there's like this 
this idea of playing to your audience, not just for art, but also for sales, right? Because if you put in your American Girl doll catalog, hey, if you write an essay, you could be in the movie, then it gets people engaged with your product. And when your sales are down, you really want to do something that gets girls engaged with your product. And something that you can do is to create a cultural moment around your toy. So that's a really, really specific example of them having a toy that has its whole story because all the American Girl dolls come with books. So they just base the movie on the books that are already written. They create this movie. They create buzz around the toy. People want to go buy it because they're obsessed with the movie. There's a more modern idea that I am interested in, however, which is this idea of being self-aware that you're making a movie about a toy and using your self-awareness to distract people from the idea that the movie is an advertisement. And I think the overarching question that I'm trying to answer in this episode is, is movies that are ads the future of the film industry? Because this year we have Barbie and we have Gran Turismo, and those are two big summer movies that are both effectively 90 minute commercials. And my question that I'm trying to answer based on looking at the history and discussing these current movies is, is that going to become more and more common, right? In the 30s, there was one company that was doing it. It was just Disney. Everybody else looked down on them for merchandising their films, refused to get involved. And now the film industry is really warming up to it because it's a guaranteed way to make money. And I'm wondering if the film industry is going to rely on that more and more and more to ensure that they make money in their movies. They even had the Mattel CEO out there promoting the film, which I think is so interesting that they would have the one of the villains of the movie out promoting the movie, drawing attention to the fact that it is an advertisement and they're interested in licensing their characters to make art with and promote themselves. And they're just so open about it, it really disarms you. Joining us at Post 9 with his expectations is Mattel CEO, Yanone Kreitz, who's also an executive producer on the moving of Mattel. First of all, what took so long? Well, the way we look at it, it actually took 64 years to bring it to today. Um, it's been, it's a great, it's an important moment uh, for Barbie. It's a milestone moment for Mattel. And it's a historical moment for cinema in bringing together for the first time to the big screen one of the most iconic brands in modern culture. What about the early projections here? I mentioned the pre-box office sales. How has it lived up to your expectations? Well, from the beginning, we were set out to create a cultural event. This is more than making a movie. Barbie is a pop culture icon that is both timeless and timely. And we always believe that this will be something very special, not conventional, that will create a, a, a real societal uh, event. For investors, how should they think about it? Is it about selling more Barbie dolls in stores? Is it about potential licensing opportunities that you're going to do, deals out of this, which we've already started to see? It, it really speaks to the, uh, to the cultural resonance of our brand, our ability to attract and collaborate with top creative talent and leverage our franchise management capabilities. And it, it speaks to the... Uh, to the potential of Mattel Films and uh, the success, the, the progress, the significant progress of our strategy to capture full value of our intellectual property. It makes 
It makes you forget about the film's ulterior motives. It immerses you in the art on such a deeper level that you forget that there are these ulterior motives. There's definitely ways to combine the art with the advertising. And that's something that I think Barbie and the Lego movie have done expertly, which is instead of doing something like American Girl Doll movie, where you're just saying, hey, we have this toy, now watch the movie of it. They're kind of doing it in a sneaky way. They're hiring really artistic writers and directors. They're saying, oh yeah, it's based on this doll, but the movie is art. It's not an advertisement. It just is an artistic movie that just so happens to be about a toy. And they're really self-aware about it because in both the Lego movie and Barbie, you have the company and the people who run the company as characters in the movie. And when the movie pulls awareness to the fact that it is an advertisement, it kind of lulls you into this false sense of security. It makes you feel like, oh, well, they couldn't possibly be trying to sell me a doll because they're saying, oh, this is the CEO. The CEO is in the movie and he's evil and he's one of the bad guys and we're not like that. We're just trying to make art. We're not trying to sell toys like these evil CEOs and lord business from the lego movie we're not like those people we're the arty artsy people who are just trying to entertain you and of course that's not true i mean they are trying to entertain you but they're the the goal is to sell the toy or else they wouldn't be making the movie in the first place and i find it so fascinating that a movie would identify the thing that would make people suspicious about it call it out and trick you into thinking that they are on your side and it makes me wonder if that's the future of filmmaking if that's where filmmaking is going if that's the trajectory that we're on thank you for listening to this week's episode of the movies that made her but not me Thank you to Antonio Ortiz for composing our theme and all other music on this podcast. Be sure to follow us at Movies Made Her on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on episode releases, the movies we'll be covering, and all things podcast related.